God, you are good. God, you have good things for your people. You have good things for us. Uh, Lord, but to get those good things requires a posture. Uh, Lord, uh, it requires forgiveness, and it's something we're not really good at. Lord, so as we dive into this new sermon series, uh, Lord, I pray that you just draw us closer to you. God's kids say amen. So we just finished up God's dysfunctional family tree. Uh, and it was fun, and it was funny, and for a lot of us, it was also kind of digging up some old memories, some good, some more, more challenging. Uh, and I'm grateful and glad to tell you, we're going to get even more messy, because uh, this new sermon series is called Learning to Forgive, and forgiveness is not something that the church is really good at. Uh, it's not something that I am very good at. It's not something any of us are very good at. And yet, it's key to understanding the Christian life. Because if you want to be a better parent, learn and practice forgiveness. If you want to be a better spouse, if you want to have a better relationship with your wife, learn and, and practice forgiveness. If, if you want to be a better follower of Christ, learn and, and practice forgiveness. If you have trauma in your past, if you've been hurt. And I don't mean like someone cut you off driving down the road. I mean the deeper hurts. I mean the hurts that go with things like the words assault or betrayal. Learn and practice forgiveness. But see, here's the problem with that. You see, forgiveness may be the most countercultural teaching of Christ. It goes against our very nature. I was actually talking uh, to one of the scouts before the service about forgiveness. And she just said, it's so hard. And it is hard. You know why it's hard? Because we were, as we saw in Genesis, not built to experience sin. We weren't designed for it. And so when someone hurts us, when there is some trespass against us, it is an unnatural thing that's happening to us as humans. And so our natural response to that is to want to play an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we're going to read that. But so here's the thing with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Everybody ends up blind. Everybody ends up without teeth. Everybody eventually will end up Dead. So God had to come up with a different plan, a, a different understanding. And so the word forgiveness, it literally in Greek means to release, to, to let go of something. So in your notes, uh, we're going to be hanging out on page one, uh, uh, 1256. If you want to open your Bibles up to that, that's where our reading comes from. Matthew 18, but if you want to write in your notes there, it literally means to release. And I think that works out well because when we have unforgiveness in our lives, when there is someone who has wronged us, when there is some resentment, when there is some anger, we hold on to it. We don't let it go. And forgiveness in Scripture means to literally start to slowly... <laughs> sometimes, open our palms to release it, to, to let it go. 
And we're going to see that in our scripture reading today. And again, Jesus' teachings on forgiveness are a change from the Old Testament. So you see this uh, just a few pages earlier in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus wasn't saying a quote of like, oh, people say this. This is actually in the Old Testament. Multiple times in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, this rule, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is brought up. So he's literally quoting Scripture. So is Jesus saying, no, 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 Scripture's wrong? No, that is not what Jesus is saying. What God was doing in the Old Testament had a different purpose than what he was doing in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's all about getting to Jesus, and he did that through God's family, through the people of God, and through the nation of Israel. And so what God was doing in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus was he was setting up a system of judgment, of justice, I'm sorry. And every culture, every country has to have a system of justice because we are broken people, and if we didn't have rules, we would run amok. And so God set up rules in the Old Testament for a nation. And it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's the same way in America. Every culture has rules. Every country has rules. You're not allowed to steal from other people. You're not supposed to be able to kill other people, to lie. Right? These are rules set up for a broken country in a broken world. But Jesus came to heal a broken world. And so instead of changing the external Instead of setting up an external system to people, he's like, no, now we're going to start working on the internal. It's not about what we do as a country or as a state or as a city, but instead, he says, I'm going to work on the inside. And on the inside, there's going to be different rules. And so no longer an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but this posture of forgiveness. And we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not later, but forgiveness does not mean you become a doormat to everyone in your life. That is not what God is after. Instead, what God is after is working on a posture of how we see other human beings and then how we can interact with other human beings. And what we're going to find out is that posture also affects how we interact and see God. Which brings us to our scripture for today, Matthew 18. And it starts off with Peter asking Jesus a question. He says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Okay, there is context to this. Peter is not just asking this question out of the air. Instead, Jesus was just talking in the previous chapter, about how we practice reconciliation, about how we start to mend broken relationships. And so Jesus tells a story. He says, look, this is how you do it. He says, first you go to the person individually. If they don't want to mend relationships, if they don't want to repent, if they don't want to turn, then you bring other people, and it's specifically from the church. So this is how Christians are supposed to interact with one another. And then you bring the whole church, and then if they don't, want to mend relationships, if they don't want to see forgiveness within the church, he says, well, then then you divide your ways. 
right? So Peter's asking for context, well, how many times should I forgive someone? How many times do I have to go through this process? Because there are some people who hurt us over and over and over and over and over again. And so Peter says, okay, so how many times if someone hurts me do I have to forgive them? And he says seven times, and that's, that's a number for a couple of different reasons. One, within the Talmud, which was the, the Jewish commentary of the day, what the rabbis would say is they would say, you need to forgive someone three times. And after that, no, no take backsies, you're done. Three strikes, you're out rule, okay? Uh, so Peter doubles it, and he adds one. So he thinks he's being very, very gracious. And, and Jesus responds... And he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, some scripture will say seven times 70. Right? So some of the translations that we have actually have 490 times. But essentially, Jesus is saying, you are going to lose count before you're allowed to stop forgiving them. Right? And again, and I, I'm going to say this later, but I'm gonna, I'll say it now. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. That is not, God wants every relationship to be reconciled. You can write this in your notes. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. And again, I'm going to touch on this later. Not even touch on it. I'm going to kind of dive deep into it because it's important. But the posture of how many times are we supposed to forgive? You're going to lose count before you stop. And then Jesus tells this parable. And so we're going to unpack this parable. I'm going to tell you the whole story, and then we will get to the punchline of the story. All right. So you can read along with me if you want. Matthew 18. Uh, we are now in verse 23. Okay. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle assaults, uh, accounts with his servants. All right, so with the kingdom of heaven, God's reign, what it looks like to live under God's reign. And this is not heaven future tense. This is not when we die. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here and now on earth. So here and now on earth, if you want to be in God's kingdom, this is what it looks like. It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought before him. This is the Scrooge McDuck vault of gold. All right? And Abby just laughed, and that is the correct response. Jesus is making a joke. Okay? No one could amass this amount of debt. No one's ever had this amount of money. This is the type of debt that a nation owes another nation. Right? Jesus is saying, y'all... More money than you could ever count, more money than you could ever imagine. I'm going to essentially just say a billion trillion dollars, right? That is what Jesus is saying, right? And so the response should be a laugh out loud. How, the, how did he do this? And it's not like one king to another king. This is a king and his servant. His servant royally screwed up, right? In the royal sense, he literally screwed up, right? And so Jesus is kind of making a joke, but he's saying this monster number, right? So he brings this servant to him. And you can imagine the king could be justified in like, how? Just tell me how. How did you screw up that badly? Right? And it starts off, and since he, the servant, was not able to pay the king, uh, yeah, no, no duh, uh, the master ordered uh, that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Like, that's not even going to make a dent, right, in this level of money. But justice, in the sense of 
getting what we deserve, that makes sense. You screwed up that bad, dude, you're done. And it's not going to fix anything, right? King's not going to get his money back, no matter how long that servant serves. And yet, it's at least a step in the right direction. But at this, though, the servant fell on his knees before him. And he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You can underline that. You can highlight that. And that word pity is actually in Greek, and the king had compassion on him. To have compassion in Greek means to be moved from the center of your heart, the center of your gut, and see someone else hurting and to act. Not just to feel for them, but to act. And what does the king do? He releases the debt. This insane number. The king opens his hands and he says, you're done. You're free. Go on your way. Beautiful. That a king would do that. And, and that's what God does for us, right? We keep amassing more debt with God. We keep sinning, and he keeps forgiving us because he loves us, and he's our father, and he releases us again and again and again. The story doesn't end there. No, Jesus hasn't gotten to the point yet. But when that same servant went out, this is verse 28, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred coins. Right? Scrooge McDuck level debt. First, 100 silver coins. Is that nothing? I mean, that's, that's a good amount of money. But in comparison, this is a pittance. And his fellow, oh, uh, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Whew, that escalated quickly. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Exact same statement. Please have compassion on me. Please. One moment. The initial servant is asking it, and he gets it. Second moment. But that servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt off. Verse 31, when the other servants had saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. <laughs> until he should pay it all he owed back. And then the last line, and this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. You can underline, highlight that last verse. This is heavy stuff. Right? This, this isn't the Jesus that we're normally like, oh, the friendly one, the loving one, right? And yet it is actually the friendly one and the loving one. It's just so countercultural to us that we look at that and we're like, mm, wait, God's going to treat me like that? Why? How? That, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't align with my experience. 
Does it even align with how we think about God? And yet, as I prayed, as I uh, listened to some podcasts, um, it's actually how it works. Have you guys ever heard of the phrase, nursing a grudge? Anyone heard that phrase before? Man, you're really nursing a grudge. I was on a plane yesterday, and, and, and I was going over the sermon, and that phrase came to mind. And do you guys ever, like, for the first time, realize what the phrase means? Like, you know what it means, but, like, you understand, like, where the context is? All right, nursing. What does it mean to nurse? Well, it's something we do with a baby, right? Where we, we hold it close to us, and if you're a mom, you do it one way. If you're a dad, you do it another way, right? But it's the same thing, right? You hold the baby up close to you, and you cradle it in your arms, and you give it the bottle or, or whatever else, and you love it, and you take care of it, and it's how it grows, and it's how we show affection for it. Right? It's this beautiful reality of this baby that can't take care of itself that we as humans are responsible for and so we care for it. To nurse is a beautiful thing, but when you compare it with a grudge, what does that mean? It means we're taking that unforgiveness, that anger that we have towards someone, and we're holding it close to our chest, and we're feeding the damn thing. And I'm using damn in its correct sense. To be damned means to be apart from God. When we nurse a grudge, when we live in unforgiveness, we are holding this dark hatred and anger towards someone close to us, and we are feeding it. And we are living in our own personal hell. You know what it means to be tortured? It means to live in unforgiveness. It is literally torture for our soul, and the thing is, it feels good. It feels good to be angry at someone. It feels good to go out and have a drink with a friend and just be able to gripe about someone you both don't like, doesn't it? That person, that person's just the worst. They do this, and they do that, and you laugh about it, and you feed the damn little unforgiving baby thing. And I do it. And you do it. And then we wonder why we're so bitter all the time. Because when we nurse a grudge, when we live in unforgiveness, we are literally torturing our soul, and your Heavenly Father does not want you to live as a tortured soul. I'm going to tell you guys a story. This is a real story. This is a story from this week. Just in case you ever wonder, well, Pastor Josh thinks he's better than us. Don't worry. We're going to cover that in about the next two minutes. All right. So Wednesday morning, I wake up. I woke up early, super productive. I think I was up at like five. Like, you know, I'm going to work on the sermon series on forgiveness. And I knew this was going to be a lot. I was going to unpack this. It's, man, I am just making great headway on the sermon on forgiveness. And how I normally like to work on sermons is I don't do it all in once. I do it in, like, smaller batches. So I worked on the message for about an hour. But I was on my way to a conference, and I'm a very last-minute person. So I hadn't really looked at the conference schedule. Uh, But I downloaded the app to this conference, and it was a church workers' conference. And I know a lot of church workers, go figure. Uh, And they actually had an attendees list. I was like, oh, maybe I will know people who are going to this conference. So I open it up. I'm scrolling down. And I come to this name, and this isn't his name, but we're going to call him Bob. And Bob was from my previous ministry, and uh, Bob didn't do anything scandalous, right? He didn't steal from the church or, you know, sleep with someone, but Bob hurt a lot of people that I knew. 
friends of my close friends and multiple friends of mine by his posture, by his type of ministry style. And it wasn't this intentional sin and harm, but it left a lot of people hurt. And I don't think about Bob all that often. It's, it's not like something I carry around with me every day. But whenever his name comes up, I, I turn into that guy who just wants to gripe about someone. And so I see his name on the attendees list, and I'm like, oh, Bob's going to be here. Man, this conference is going to suck. This is going to be horrible. Well, I mean, if Bob's going, this is just, God's not going to do anything in this conference. Bob is just the absolute worst. You know what? I'm putting down this app. I'm going to go back to my sermon on forget. Oh, son of a monkey. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, now I'm going to go back and, and, and work on my sermon on forgiveness. Oh, yeah, Pastor Josh, sure you're going to do that. Oh, hi. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Oh, you're so sweet. You're so kind. All right. Uh, and uh, Eric and I do a morning walk uh, most mornings, and so we were doing that, and I told her the story. This is, this is a real story. And it's, I, I walked her through the same thing, and she just barked a laugh out loud, right? Um, and I had to do some work before I went to that conference. And I, I saw Bob at that conference, and I gave Bob a hug. And it's not like it's been fully reconciled. Right? It's not like everything's in the past, but forgiving from my heart, I started to ungrasp my fingers. Right? I, I started to give up that. I started to learn to practice forgiveness to, to Bob. And if, if we want to be followers of Christ, if we want to have better relationships, not just with Bob or those like Bob, but with our spouses or with our friends or with that one neighbor, you know the neighbor I'm talking about, or, or with that relative that there's a lot of baggage with, right? it, it allows us to untangle our feelings, right? So let's go through and, and talk about a few things. Because when I say forgiveness, Scripture does not mean it removes the consequences, right? No, whenever people sin... There are consequences to it. When we hurt other people, there are consequences. So forgiveness does not mean, oh, you got to forgive me. No, no, you've got to, yes. But uh, you can't hold this against me. There are no, no, that is not in Scripture. In fact, Scripture goes the other way and says no. To repent means to try to make amends, right? Now, you can't always make the person make amends. You can't make reconciliation by yourself. But you can start to release things by yourself. But again, it does not mean there are no consequences. It also, again, does not mean this is reconciliation. I do want to, I want to pause here. Um, the really deep stuff, right? Not, not, the, not the Bob level stuff, but the really, really deep, harmful stuff. The stuff AJ talked about last week. This side of eternity, we don't always get full reconciliation, right? And so God is not expecting you to go back into a relationship where you are going to be actively harmed or the person has not done the work of repentance, and I mean true repentance, and to figure out a way to bridge that gap. That is not in Scripture. In fact, just, again, the story right before this is Jesus saying, you don't have to go back into a relationship and get, like, backhanded. No, you bring other people with you. 
right? Jesus does not say you need to go back into abusive relationships. And forgiveness takes time. And so God also does not say, hey, you got to do this immediately. You know, for me and Bob, it took a few days. For those of us who have been hurt over decades or those of us who have had those acute moments, it may take and probably will take longer to learn to release that. But again, it does not mean reconciliation. And it doesn't minimize or trivialize the hurt. It doesn't mean that you have to just get over what was done to you. Right? You can forgive someone and still go see a counselor about it. The trauma, the hurt, the pain. One of the best things about our God is that God does not ask us to play pretend. Oh no, when that person lied to me, when that person did this to me, that it wasn't that big of a deal. No, it does not minimalize sin. In fact, it allows it to be fully shown so we can heal, to get God's breath and his light in things so things can start growing the way they were supposed to again. It's not forgetting. It doesn't mean that you have to not only pretend it didn't happen, but like, okay, I forgive, and now I can't think about it anymore. No, it's not that. And this is the hardest one, honestly, on our, pot, on our side. It is not a one-time event. I would love to tell you that I have now completely reconciled with Bob, and there is no section of my heart that will ever get mad when I see his name on an attendees list. Right? No, I'm still a sinful person. I'm still a broken person. I'm still learning to forgive. And so sometimes my immediate reaction may be like... And, and so I need to, again, release. I need to, again, open up my hands and say, I'm not going to carry this anymore. And so when it comes to our own forgiveness, again, as much as I would love to say this is a one-time thing, instead, no, this is something that we're going to have to practice over and over and over again with different relationships in our life. So if that's what forgiveness is not, what is forgiveness? Well, we've been talking about this. It means learning to release the anger, the hate, and the resentment we have towards us. And it starts in our heart. And again, it's something we have to learn because it's countercultural, it's counter our human experience, it's counter our nature, and yet it is mission critical to experiencing the life God has for us. To learn, again, not to trivialize our pain, not to say it was okay, not to say it necessarily that we are going to seek full reconciliation with someone. Again, that is God's ultimate goal for every relationship. And God is going to ask us to do that, but we can't, we can't make reconciliation happen because reconciliation takes two people. We can't do that, but our side of the street we can take care of. That means releasing this stuff, and y'all, this is good news, that we get to release it. I was talking to Elder Skip earlier this week at our elders meeting, and he uh, used the phrase, Holding on to unforgiveness, holding on to resentment, holding on to hate, not forgiving, is like taking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. That's what it is. When we live in unforgiveness, when we have those areas of our heart that are not practicing forgiveness, it's like we're taking rat poison. I'm ingesting it and expecting this dark thing to die. Expecting the person to get hurt. 
And what we see in Scripture is, no, that is never how it works. And yes, consequences need to happen when true sin has happened. Right? So this isn't saying, oh, you know, they may have to go to the jail. They may have to pay you back. There may have to be some repentance. Like, consequences are still in effect, but we don't have to carry that. Which then brings us to the question, well, is forgiveness about us or the person we're forgiving? And the answer is yes. It's both. Unforgiveness hurts you. And unforgiveness hurts the other humans that are made in God's image. And, and see, that, that's the, the counterintuitive part of Jesus. Y'all, the world is just full of a bunch of hurting people. And hurting people hurt people. And it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't trivialize it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't cause trauma. It doesn't mean that you've got to put yourself in a position where you are going to be actively hurt again. But it's a bunch of hurting people who hurt people. And God's solution, God's kingdom is unlocked when we learn to live in forgiveness. And I, I would love to say, hey guys, okay, you guys got it now. You got your marching orders. Go out and like, we are going to spend the next six weeks unpacking this. And then we are all going to spend the rest of our lives unpacking this. <laughs> but this isn't a one-time thing. And, and if you are in a position of, Josh, I'm still wrestling with this person. Yeah, you got Bob. I've got Jane. And it's different. And you're right. It is different levels. And I'm not trying to trivialize it. And I'm not trying to pretend it isn't. But if you want to experience God's love to its fullness, this is the path. Because I don't want you to miss the other part of the story with Bob for me. When I was in my anger with Bob, when I was nursing that grudge with Bob, was I close to God? I couldn't be close to God. Literally, I couldn't. When I am actively holding on to forgiveness, I am pushing God away because it is an all-or-nothing scenario. I, I actively need God's forgiveness. I actively get angry. I actively sin. And so I need God's forgiveness to pour over me, to wash over me, to clean me. But when I hold up someone else's, it's like clogging up a sink. I can't receive, I can't give what I don't receive, and I can't receive what I don't give. That's how this works. And y'all, that's good news because, again, as much as it feels in our human nature that nursing this grudge is doing something for us, all it is doing is keeping us away from God and away from the people that He's placed in our lives. So it is very good news that God says, no, forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is how we interact, how we lean in. And we're going to spend the next five more weeks looking at what that looks like of how we seek first. And y'all, just so you know, God started all of this, right? This doesn't start with, all right, Josh, you figure out forgiveness, and once you got it figured out, then I'll give it to you. It's actually very much the opposite way, Right? God comes down and he forgives us. He gets the ball rolling and he keeps the ball rolling, FYI. Right? It's not a one-time thing. I became a Christian and now I've got it all. Nope, no you don't. Neither do I. 
He's the one keeping all the momentum, but we get to participate in that. And we're actually going to do that. We do this every week. We do it differently. We've been using Psalm 51 recently to do confession and absolution where we go before God. But today, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to do the Lord's Prayer a little bit differently. We're going to say it together, but we are going to pause after and forgive us our trespasses. And we're going to all pause together. And we're going to go before God and ask Him to forgive us. And then we are going to say, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and we're going to pause. And, and for some of you, it may be really easy, okay, God, yeah, that neighbor uh, I'm, I'm willing to open my, my hands with. For some of you, for those deeper ones, remember it says, for those who don't forgive in their heart, the heart starts with just going before God and saying, you know what? Okay, I know I'm holding on to this, whoever they are. God, give me the strength to start slowly opening my fingers. And that's okay too, right? This isn't an all or nothing thing. If you don't do it, it's not a perfect or nothing thing. It's a baby step thing. And so it might just be that baby step, but take that time and then we'll finish the prayer together. I'm going to start off with a, I'll pray and then I'll invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is hard stuff. This is countercultural stuff. This is this is stuff that we have practiced living in unforgiveness for a long time. And yet, Lord, if we want to experience you to the full, if we want to experience our neighbors to the full, Lord, if we want to stop taking that rat poison, Lord, this is the way to do it. Lord, and so I pray that as we continue to unpack this sermon series, as we unpack it in our hearts, Lord, that you, that you move, that you help us see first our forgiveness from you, Lord, and how beautiful and how radically bold that is. Lord, but then we can pass that same forgiveness on to those who have hurt us. We say together the words you taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We continue our worship.